up, everybody. You're now at your favorite stop for all things sports, politics, and culture. It's the Wake Up and Win podcast with Devon Pouncey, a production of ThatCast Network. Hey, now, say now, you're tuned in to the Wake Up and Win podcast, and I am your host, Devon Pouncey. Today, we have a very, very special guest joining us on the podcast. It's honestly been a long time coming, but what better time than now? to have her on. Um, She's a dynamite sports writer. She's an activist. She's a public speaker. She's a consultant. And she is also a co-host of the best feminist sports podcast in the land, which is Burn It All Down. I have Shireen Ahmed here with me from Toronto, Canada. Thank you so much for joining me, Shireen. We've been talking about this moment for so long. We have. It is so nice to see you. And for those that don't know this, I can see him and I'm so grateful. It's been years. Yeah. And I'm so happy and so, so jazzed about where you're going and have and so honored to be on your show. We've been talking about this for a long time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. And before I get into asking you some some questions that I, I guess have some substance, um, I got to <laughs> talk about my experience meeting you. And I kind of got to give you your flowers here while you can smell them because because I was a young mustache in college. It was my senior year of college, um, and it was fall of 2016. And you and Jessica Luther came down to speak at Pacific University, and you spoke with my sports and politics class, which was taught by uh, Dr. Jules Boykoff, who's definitely a friend of this podcast. And, you know, that, I would say, is, was my favorite course during my time at Pacific but I had to kind of ease my way into it because it was some conversations that were very serious. They were very in depth. And as I'm meeting these different journalists that are coming down for the colloquium, we had Dr. Ben Carrington come down. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned, you and Jessica Luther, um, we had uh, Jacqueline Keeler come mm-hmm. and speak. You were the one that stood out to me on first impression. And I'm going to tell you why. You came into the classroom and you were wearing a Colin Kaepernick jersey. And this is fall of 2016. So this is right when Colin Kaepernick started taking the knee. This is when that news kind of became prominent. It was the beginning of the conversation that we're still having in regards to the guy. And, you know, me growing up in the Bay Area, I often saw people wearing the Colin Kaepernick jerseys and supporting Colin Kaepernick through like social media. But I'm living in the state of Oregon in Forest Grove, Oregon, which is a little out the way. And those same conversations that I would see my friends and my family having back home in the Bay Area just weren't happening at the pace I may have necessarily (laughs) wanted them to in Oregon around my campus and at my college. So when you came into the classroom and you were wearing this Colin Kaepernick jersey, it was like a breath of fresh air for me because I felt like somebody from home had just walked in my classroom. And then obviously from there you spoke with us and uh, you, you were very great with that. And you were able to actually um, do a colloquium and speak to the, the, the entire student body as well later on that evening after just speaking with our class. So um, it's safe to say that you've got a lot of influence on me actually believing that doing the work when it comes to the intersection of sports and politics is actually cool. <laughs> so I got to give you a flowers there for that. Certainly, certainly somebody that has influenced me greatly and doing the work that I'm still doing here today. Yeah, thank you so much for that. It was an honor to be there. And I think you and I connected. Um, also having an understanding of what it's like. I grew up in a 
spaces where, you know, there were not a lot of BIPOC, whereas it was a white majority space. And I think you and I connected on that. And you may have been young, but that I never discount someone on that from having incredible input and insight, which you did. I think we were just talking casually at dinner and the comments that you gave Jess about her book meant so much to her. And the, you know, the, the sincerity with which you shared your experience and just talking, it was, I think that we, you know, I don't want to age myself too much, but <laughs> we look to young, I've started to look to young and I hope other people have to lead and that's what you are. So it was so great to see you, to meet you and then stay in touch and then do what we often do is create community within these spaces. And I felt that. So I feel like I've got friends in Portland. I don't live anywhere close to there. I love y'all's women's soccer team though. Like, you know oh, that. Yeah, like I, yeah. I love my thorns. <laughs> the thorns but, I, yeah. but I think that's one of the things that you also brought to the forefront was this idea of creating community in these spaces. And I'm so grateful to you for that. And like, I mean, that trip meant a lot to me to be able to speak with, and you were definitely one of the more tuned in students. My biggest fear in presenting students is that they fall asleep. You were tuned in, you were engaged. The content meant so much to you and that was apparent. And when you see students shine like you did, it wasn't, it wasn't very hard. And before we got there, Jules said, I need you to meet somebody. He's, he's definitely, he's a star. And I was like, yeah. Because yeah. you shine. And well, I'm so. grateful we're here. I'm grateful yeah, we're here. Yeah, me too. Sure. Like I said, I, I just had to give you your flowers because no, you, certainly, you. <laughs> you certainly played a big role in me actually wanting to dive deeper into ultimately making somewhat of a career out of sports and yeah. politics. It's all Absolutely. coming together in ways I could have never imagined, but it's yeah. really been dope and you played a huge role in that. Um, Thank you. Well, let's get into some content here because there's so much going on in the world. Obviously, socially, we have a lot going on. Um, We're also in the middle of a global health pandemic. So timing has just been unprecedented, unprecedented, unprecedented. You get what I'm saying? Unprecedented. (laughs) Unprecedented. (laughs) It's been that when it comes to kind of everything that's happening right now. So um, I'll I'll get into some of the protesting and demonstrations that are going on. But I want to first highlight some female athlete activism, or I want you to highlight that because... Um, there's definitely been a lot of that going on during these times. And um, I want our listeners to hear from your perspective, what is some of the female athlete activism that has stood out to you during this moment in time? Um, That's such an insightful question. And thank you so much for starting there. And this is one of the things I hope people have seen in aspiring young sports journalists turn to you. Like the first thing you look at, you look at women athletes and where they are. We know that Black women in particular, have been in the forefront of so much resistance, Um, whether it was WNBA players long ago taking a knee, wearing I can't breathe shirts. This is something that we can't lose sight of. And I feel very often the history of women, and I learned so much from Dr. Amira Davis, or, you know, my co-host on the the show, um, talks about this. Athlete activism is not new. And this idea that, you know, it came first with Colin Kaepernick, you know, it came to the forefront with Colin Kaepernick because of the platforms of the NFL and such. But we've seen athlete activism happen for a really long time. And, you know, as Wyoming Atias or whether it was Althea Gibson in their own way or Serena Williams later talking about this stuff. We've seen, um, you know, Billie Jean King is, you know, is, is a huge figure in this and what athlete activism is. And it could mean pay equity. It could mean, you know, combating anti-blackness, combating homophobia, all these things. So I mean, very specifically now, I mean, I think a lot about 
Simone Biles. I think a lot about, you know, Rachel Delhollander, who was one of the first survivors to talk about um, Dr. Larry Nasser, former rather, Larry Nasser, the man associated who committed all these crimes. But in this space, when we're talking so much about race, I think very much about Maya Moore, who has been instrumental in unprecedented ways of just working with black prisoners who have been victims of this industrial complex of prison and what she has done to help overturn you know, a verdict and release a man who we know is innocent, but because of the way the system, it's not a justice system, it's a legal system, but to take that on and commit and the work, the emotional, mental, psychological, physical labor it takes for this is incredible. I mean, I recently interviewed Renee Montgomery and who was taking a year off. So was Natasha Cloud of the WNBA. I mean, I don't know if it's, something that's special about women basketball players. Yeah, I don't know. And there's something there in that water. Something in the water. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what it is, but <laughs> they are, you know, and are formidable in the way that they stand to bring their truth to power. And I've watched in awe and we've seen this since 2016, since before. I I just I find it beautiful. I find it um really important. There was Alison Desir, who was a runner, a black runner who runs a black women's running group um, in New York. We had her on the show after the murder of Emmett Aubrey mm-hmm. and, you know, what she was talking about. So there's some that we might not amplify, but the other thing I want to remind all your listeners too, is that there are heroes in every community. Yeah. You may not hear about them on the on the news and whatnot. You know, Megan Rapino is somebody that's been advocating for a long time about what allyship looks like and understanding that struggles are connected, which is very important. If Absolutely. you think this doesn't, if you don't think this matters to you, then you have a problem. I mean, she was the first white athlete to kneel in solidarity with Colin Kaepernick, but that gets erased, right? Because like we want to look at everyone else. No, it was Megan Rapino, who's a yeah. queer white woman, and. Um, you know, just thinking about the stuff that she's definitely someone on my mind who uses her platform. She accepted and, you know, awards and she'll talk about how white people got to pull up. And, you know, there's so many ways in which we could do that. The NWSL is on right now. The Challenge Cup yeah. is on in Utah and how we see, you know, we'll see Crystal Dunn leading, how she'll be talking. Yeah. And, you know, Lynn Williams is formidable. Like just, I think that there's so many that that happened in a way so but i just want to also recognize people in smaller communities yeah who are doing the work there's women all over the place there's black women indigenous women racialized women who are doing this work but on a higher platform you know first place i stopped is a wnb i got me my <laughs> yeah. new york liberty shirt you know okay. i'm i'm i so can't that's your lie team. That's your you team. know kia nurse is canadian i've interviewed her a couple times yeah. i love her to pieces i'm a big yukon fan you know that the huskies yeah, you are i guess so i love that team i also appreciate that team um so a bit yeah. of me that's that's chicago a bit of me that chicago i'm a big gabby williams fan who i also yeah. love i think she and Azari Stevens have been on the show and um, I love their Instagram. They're dancing and doing all these funny TikTok videos and they bring light. I mean, this is the other thing that I appreciate. These are women that do the work. They talk the talk and then they bring joy into spaces. And I cannot thank them enough for that. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I know one thing with the New York Liberty. I think you got our girl from University of Oregon here, Sabrina Ionescu. <laughs> See, who, you get it <laughs> Talk about a baller. And, and I mean, second to none. And I think this is something that needs to be said is Satu Sabali, who I'm obsessed yeah. with. Yes, yes, I'm yes, obsessed yes, yes, with, yes. And she comes out and she's on this new, and we just heard about a, a, a committee within the WNBA committed to social justice. Satu Sabali was named to it. Yep. Laisha Clarendon is on it, who is a phenomenal, phenomenal person. An athlete has been advocating from everything from women's health to, you know, talking about equity and, and, and race equity and equality. So Satu Tabali, Sabali is somebody who yeah. I love and a her, her WNBA draft outfit was dope. It was the best <laughs> out there. Swagged I, out. <laughs> so she was, and she's so unapologetic and coming from, you know, Germany, but, you know, being from, you know, Ghana at the same time and having those intersections, being a Muslim, being a black woman, she talks about that. Yeah. And she's somebody, again, like I said, who leads, who's so absolutely. young, but who leads. Yeah, absolutely. This, I, I'll tell you, the state of Oregon definitely got robbed of a national championship here due to the global pandemic, oh, cutting off yeah, college man. basketball, because I, I think that that Oregon team this year, it really would have took it all the way. Um, they they were phenomenal throughout the year. And uh, it's unfortunate they didn't get to finish the job that uh, I'm sure they wish they could have. But you mentioned the NWSL. And I want to ask you about that because we obviously are in this wave right now of sports returning since things have gotten shut down from the pandemic. The, N- the NWSL was on the front lines of that. They were the first really to, to return to sports here in America in particular. Um, Speak to that. Do you see it as courageous? Do you see it as somewhat of a risk? Because I know you're tuned in, you're dialed in. I see your tweets, you're loving what's going on, you know, when it comes to the play. But during these times, them being kind of the pioneers of the wave of bringing sports back, what are some of your general thoughts about it? Well, like, I mean, first and foremost, it's health of the players and the staff involved. I mean, I was concerned. I thought it was very premature when the conversation started happening and hat tip to Meg Linehan at The Athletic, who's a dear friend and who was constantly reporting on the discussions around the return. I was monitoring things as compared to the English Premier League and Bundesliga, but it seemed as if Germany had their numbers down, which is why the Frauen, the women's side and the men's side could return. Yeah. But even then, you know, I was connecting with colleagues in Germany who were saying there's a lot of apprehension and trepidation of, of athletes who it's, it's not safe. Like if you've got somebody immunocompromised, if you've got a partner at home who's pregnant, if you've got somebody or small kids, you're worried about this stuff, right? And, you know, the idea of everybody going to Utah. And then I remember thinking, Utah, like yeah. what Utah? But I mean, Utah because the man's got money in Utah. That's why yeah. everybody <laughs> yeah. down and, you know, bring that white man money over here and fly these players out in a safe yeah. environment. I mean, at the same time, I will always worry about the health first and foremost. And I did, I was looking for, and it was immediately answered how Lisa Baird, the commissioner, had said and was supported by the teams to say, if people opt out, they will be supported and their benefits won't be cut, which is something that I was looking at. Like I'm trying to look through the fine lines. Like do their access to healthcare, does it get cut off because they're not, they're choosing to not participate. Yeah. That would be of huge concern to me. Great, great concern for sure. And, uh, you know, Megan Rapinoe, Kristen Press, Tobin Heath, they're not participating in some of the greatest names. And then we saw the entire team of Orlando, you know, go out. But I think um, as opposed to pointing fingers and saying who brought COVID in and who did this, I don't think that's helpful. 
generally, and this is a huge generalization, but being privileged to be in a place like Canada where people have access to healthcare, we don't have the same demographics. Like we're obviously much smaller in population, but seeing the way that the callousness with which some parts of America deal with COVID-19 and more, the more we know about this disease, we know that it affects disproportionately affects racialized people. So we yeah. know that black and brown bodies are on the front lines of this, whether it's in healthcare frontline, you know, whether it's food service, you know, whatever, anything considered frontline, caretaking, whatnot. And so you saw the decrease of people starting to care and the decrease of people with power caring. And that worried me as well. But in Orlando, when the whole team like dropped out, there was this understanding that, okay, we need to do better. Or we need to support the players. Um, and Orlando, I think, managed that very well. They yeah. um, they moved quickly and then they changed their Twitter account to a Challenge Cup stan account or fan account. And yeah. I thought that was one. They showed support for Houston. They became <laughs> friends. Like, yeah, yeah. They handled it really well. I also think that it's not as if there's not a level of politics in, in, in the NWSL, there is, but I think the way that the conversations happen when they're already rooted in some type of, hopefully they're rooted in intersectional feminism anyway, you've got people that are already open to those discussions, to the layers of discussion, and that affects it. Like The way that NWSL is conducting itself is a far cry from the way the MLB or NHL is. Yeah. I mean, NHL's up in here trying to decide where to have, you know, hub cities were decided Edmonton and Toronto, but it's just very different. And at the end of the day, Devon, you know, I'm going to say what I'm going to say. You know, yeah, I'm going to say men are the problem. You know, I'm <laughs> going to say that. And there it is. I'm here for it. I'm here there for it. There it is. And yeah. you, my friend, know that I'm going to go there and say that literally they're just trying to find problems created. And I understand there's a need. I love Challenge Cup. I am so happy for like soccer is back. Football, I call it, is back. I'm so grateful because I missed it. But make no mistake, it's not worth jeopardizing the health of the players and if that can be reached and worked out you know masks are being worn as much as possible i mean some people would say it's hypocritical like people are wearing masks at the sideline and then you got you know 22 players that are in, and then ref officials that are in the play yeah and but trying to do what we know best i think yeah. that it's a good example i'm not saying it's perfect but I'm saying it's a great example and I'm glad it started with them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sticking to the return of sports, you're in Toronto. Um, you're, you're a huge fan of the Toronto Raptors. You and I have Boys. had, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've had, we've had our banter a time <laughs> or two being that I'm from the Bay area and you know, the Raptors got the Warriors out of there last year in the NBA finals. And then also the trailblazers, gotta, the trailblazers for sure. But I got to call you out a little bit, Shireen, on uh, how invested you are in the Toronto Raptors. I saw you shoot your shot a little while back at uh, Serge Ibaka. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for it. Shoot or shoot. Oh, man. I, <laughs> make, I make what you don't shoot, Shireen. <laughs> I, you know what? I, that just, I literally didn't think anybody would notice. And yeah, we all noticed. I even all in noticed. Portland. <laughs> I, I just was like, you know, just 
trying to be quiet. I watch, I follow Serge Ibaka on all platforms. I think he's also someone who's incredibly joyous. He brings yeah. a lot of joy to the game. Absolutely. And so he was doing home workouts and whatnot. And then I just thought, well, I mean, you know, why not? A girl's going to be sitting up here by herself and quarantine, you know, whatever. <laughs> so uh, it was so funny. And then I, I put the phone down and I walked away. I think this was March. And then I came back and I was like, what the, my friend El Amin, he's yeah. hilarious. He had retweeted it. And he, I was like, oh, you did uh... not do that. And he's quite, he's quite funny. And I yeah. think one of the things I love about Toronto is people just love this team. People right. love this team. Right. Um, and we will talk about Marcus Gasol's glow up because we will talk about that. <laughs> um, but we just love this team and it got a lot of attention. I was yeah, so it definitely got a lot of attention. I, like I said, I saw it from over here <laughs> in the little pocket of Portland, Oregon. So <laughs> I had to call you out on that one just to lighten things up a bit. Because yeah. we, we, we obviously are going to have some serious conversation here. But like I said, you can't make what you don't shoot, Shereen. So 100%. Give it, 100%. Give it your you all. 100% give it your of the shots you don't, uh, yeah, yeah, you don't, you don't take. take. You don't make. <laughs> exactly. And I was uh, lucky to be on a panel with Brittany Donaldson, who's a coach, assistant coach, one of the coaches of the Raptors. She handles her numbers and stats and stuff. And um, so she had messaged me and she was just laughing. She said, yeah. probably, she made a blush. And that was, the, I was like, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, that, that's real cool. But, but sticking with the Raptors here, obviously what tends to not really get talked about here in America in particular is the Raptors are the defending national champions when it comes to the NBA. And here we're greatly talking about LeBron James and the Lakers, now Kawhi Leonard and the Clippers. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about Giannis and the Milwaukee Bucks. It's kind of mm-hmm. those three teams that really have a shot to return to what they're calling the bubble and, and win an NBA title. But the Raptors not only are the defending champions, so it's their title to defend. They've had a really great year up to this point. They're second mm-hmm. in the Eastern Conference in, in, in mm-hmm. regards to standings. They obviously, even though they lost their best player in Kawhi Leonard, brought back a huge wave of guys that now have championship experience. What is the feeling like in Toronto in regards to this Raptors team being able to repeat based on the success that they've been having this year that probably wasn't expected when Kawhi decided he was going to take his talents to L.A.? Yeah, I think that that entire year was surreal. Like 2019 was a beautiful year for many reasons and that being one of them. I think that Toronto's Torontonians and Raptors fans generally are used to people not believing in us. Like that's just a product of where we are. Um, The support that was felt overwhelmingly across the country because it's our only NBA team, right? It's like the only NBA team here. We used to have in Vancouver, which ended up shifting and was gone. But so there's a lot of emotional investment. I mean, Basketball's huge in Canada. Mm-hmm. It's huge on a youth level. I think it is the most uh, played sport. Uh, for girls, it is soccer first and then uh, basketball and ice hockey. For young boys, I believe it's ice hockey and then soccer and basketball. But um, it's huge. It's growing even more. And Basketball Canada works really hard to try. And, you know, our Canadian women, we talked about Canners, like Kayla Alexander, who plays for Minnesota now. So, like, I think there's a lot of hype about yeah. the players. There's a lot of hype generally. Um, they do quite well. And Steve Nash, he's our legend. He's always advising. And, you know, um, so I think there's a sense in Canada that people don't believe anyway, but yeah. that's something that the players already know how to deal with. They're so humble anyway. And it also helps relieve um, 
and this is just my, we can, it's my conjecture here, sure. that it helps them focus on the task at hand. You don't have to manage all of that stuff. You get to focus primarily on your play. You don't have to deal with the rhetoric of, will they do this? Will they do that? Like they're just being ignored completely. And I love how American sports media that I love, I get to call out every single time. Or you're right. They're talking about LeBron. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I love LeBron and every facet as a player and how he's grown as a person and as a leader in the community um, and in sports generally. Um, but my problem is I'm not expecting everyone to love the Raptors, but it's at a point of, I think there's a sense of people feeling disrespected and like, you've got people up in here that have been loving the Raptors for like over 20 years Yeah, because we're relative, you know, we're a quarter century old franchise or, you know, less than 25 years old. Right. So it's fairly new, but, um, that have stuck along the way. So the championship was a very emotional one. Now I'll be interested to see what happens. I actually don't have predictions for the bubble okay. because we're also not seeing, I also am not sure what final rosters are because you know, some players are in and out and that's something else to get back to the question you asked before. I think this is really important for players to have a choice. There's some that inherently do not feel safe yeah. and the NBA this earlier or late, late last week, um, shared that they will be amplifying mental health resources in the bubble because they know it'll be stressful. Well, like, bruh, if you know it's going to be tough on people emotionally and mentally, why have a bubble? So, and I don't necessarily trust that, you know, yeah. Adam Silver's intentions are as noble as another one. Like it's just at the end of the day, these organizations are about money yeah. and, Capitalist, I, capitalist absolutely <laughs> and yeah. you hang around jules boykoff and we love yeah, dr boykoff <laughs> up here so you know how wretched that can be absolutely. however i mean i think there's a we're at a crossroads of time where people are using this to amplify certain things and then them writing black lives matter on the courts like is the showmanship is it performative is it what is it but then i think if you you look at who's leading in toronto the one thing I love about Toronto is Masai Ujiri, who's president of our organization, is a stand-up guy. He is somebody who has immigrant experience as a black man, is understanding. And the statement that the Raptors put out about Black Lives Matter didn't mess around. It was very clear. It yeah. talked about a commitment. Um, and it talked, it was just very clear. And it was a statement that I was very proud to support the organization because as a sports fan who loves sports, like from my head to my toes, but I also love justice yeah i also love that aspect and i can't love a team um which doesn't do that which makes being a nice hockey fan so difficult for me in canada yeah, because like yeah. they're mess up in here let me tell you they're a mess yeah so for the nba and the WNBA in particular um i'm concerned for their safety and likewise for the raptors i worry about that and they were quarantined um early on we were watching them and you know you know Powell out there talking about how it's like a glorified pickup league and this yeah. and this. I mean, some of them have been using the time. Mark Gasol, Kyle Lowry look good. They they use the time to train. They look good. Everyone else is putting on quarantine 15 and they're just, they're shaping up and training. So we'll see. And Serge Ibaka said that they're going to focus. Yeah. You know, they're going to focus on the game. They're there to do what they need to do. And I like there's something about that team that has a dedicated level of laser focus. Yeah. And they're there to do what they need to do. Um, so I just hope that they stay. My biggest concern is I hope they stay, them and the staff stay healthy. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned uh, Messiah Jury because personally, he's probably become one of my favorite 
um, you know, front office staff within the NBA community, certainly done great things with that Raptors organization, obviously being able to bring a championship there, being able to get to Kawhi to come there, even though it was a small window, not only did he get Kawhi to come, but he got Kawhi to help win a championship and bring a <laughs> ring to the city of Toronto. So, you know, job well done on that front in particular, but you did, you did mention um, you know, what they're, some of the awareness tactics, essentially, that the NBA wants to do with Black Lives Matter on the courts, which from some of the pictures, I haven't quite seen that yet. So I'm interested to see how that plays out because they are showing some pictures of the different courts. It, it kind of looks like it'll be an AAU type of event out there for NBA <laughs> players. <laughs> but, <laughs> That's what, right. It looks like a tournament that I've sat on the sidelines. Exactly. Of, yeah, right. Buying overpriced snacks. Yeah. Right, right. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, but also players being able to put um, different social justice slogans uh, on the backs of their jerseys rather than their last mm-hmm. names. Um, what are some of your general thoughts on the awareness tactic, tactics that the NBA um, are, are trying to bring aboard? Um, it was Angel McCautry who actually pushed to have names of uh, victims of anti-Black violence and police brutality on uh, the jerseys. And that's happening for WNBA, and they pushed for it. And I, to have Breonna Taylor's name, which needs to be said over and over and over again until Say her murderers yeah. are arrested yeah. and brought to the highest level uh, of justice again. This is something that I feel personally and I don't expect justice from a legal system because can you really ever get back what you've taken? And, you know, people say, well, that's a philosophic argument. But for me, there's nothing that can bring her back. There's nothing that can bring back George Floyd. There's nothing that can bring back all those, like, you know, every year I sort of feel like when you get the uh, messages on social media is today's Tamir Rice's birthday. He would have been this year old. He would have been yeah. like that. That hurts like every yeah, year like does. to see that. For sure. and it will continue. And there's so many others that have died. And this is a systemic problem in, in Canada. There's a, absolutely in the last month, there've been over a dozen murders of indigenous folks at the hand of police. And that's something that I'm not sure if it's reflected in media in the United States. Um, but it's a it's a huge crisis, and yeah. we don't talk about it, and we don't talk about how those intersections meet. And anti-indigeneity is connected to anti-blackness, which is connected to xenophobia, and it's all under the umbrella of white supremacy and what that looks like. Now, you know, it's a very roundabout way to answer your question, but in terms of what I've seen some change. I don't like to give out cookies to men, especially. You know this. Yeah, but <laughs> but uh, some people have been doing the work. The NHL, some of the statements out of the players shocked me. Like, I tweeted this and I stand by this. I did not have white hockey bros on my wake bingo card. Yeah. And there they were coming out with statements. The Washington right. Capitals. Like, Brain Holtby coming out talking about the impact of the historical. And these are kids from like small town Canada, like Saskatchewan or somewhere. Like yeah, they've yeah. been reflecting and inflecting. What a time. <laughs> what a time. And what a time. I, I don't want to center them, but what it will take to break down power structures is people with power talking. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm a firm believer in that. It's also changed the trajectory of what I feel like I want to do with the rest of my life. I want to be in a decision-making position and I will work to get there. Because until we get people with power in those positions, 
we can't, you can dismantle and make change. Yes, I believe in that. I believe in the protests. I believe in the word on the streets. I believe in people in many different ways participating in activism. And I don't want to be ableist and say you have to be on the streets. No, you can donate. You can sign petitions. You can call your representatives, your political representatives. You can do different things. You can support black businesses, indigenous businesses, racialized communities. You can teach, you can educate, you can unlearn. There's many ways to do this. Yeah. So I'm waiting to see if the NBA will follow through because this is not a sprint it's a marathon are they supporting their black players are they supporting communities are they standing by what they said they would stand by and this does come with money pay up i mean you see people saying um all over twitter here's my venmo buy me dinner buy me and you know what the amount of work that black players and racialized players have to do it will always be more immense around this stuff yeah yeah absolutely um can can you speak to you you mentioned you know the different ways of folks being able to sort of commit themselves to change whether it be donations whether it be demonstrations protesting with education so many different fronts there but i do want to know about the actual protesting and demonstrations that are taking place in toronto canada because mm-hmm. this you know this movement has become global you know the black lives matter movement obviously and we've been able to see so many examples of so many places around the world really stand up in their cities and and support Black Lives Matter by way of protesting. Um, Mm -hmm. Can you speak to what that protest culture has sort of been like uh, from your lens in Toronto, Canada? Yeah, Black Lives Matter Toronto is an incredibly astute uh, organization. Um, Sandy Hudson, she started it years ago and it started with literally a list of demands and suggestions and requirements for to move forward in different ways. And that was, it was incredibly intersectional on in what it looked at. It looked at different things like inclusion of indigenous voices. It included calls to withdraw the police from a pride parade because they had been incredibly anti-black and, you know, I think, I think things like this. So there was, there's a, there's been a movement for a long time here and organizations working through that. Um, and we saw that the same week that George Floyd was mo- uh, murdered, um, Regis Packard is a, a black woman who was killed while with in police presence. Mm. And there's still a special investigations unit that's investigating <laughs> and, and all these things. So <laughs> there's very much people on the streets. And I think that I hear some misconceptions, and this is something I just want to offer uh, American listeners, as people say that um, all over the world, the, the anger and the frustration and the sadness and the grief around George Floyd's murder was it palpable? But people are protesting in their own local communities because they felt that, because that happens there. What yeah. happened to George Floyd doesn't only didn't only happen in Minneapolis, St. Paul. It happens all over the world. I mean, slavery and anti-blackness has hit globally. Colonization has ripped through the world. Mm-hmm. And there's wounds that have not healed. Yeah. And there's still wounds being inflicted. So it wasn't necessarily that in, in, in England they were only protesting George Floyd's murder, they were protesting the anti-blackness there and they were protesting the xenophobia there and how that happened everywhere. And I think this is something to be said that the pain and the hurt caused by the community in America and George Floyd's community and his family was felt and reverberated all over the world. And 
Canada and Toronto particularly, um, there's a brilliant speaker writer named Desmond Cole, and he wrote a book called The Skin We're In, and I recommend everybody read it. Because mm. there's also a misconception, and Canada's really terrible at this, of we're not as bad as the United States, because y'all are terrible. Like, those clips <laughs> of that man, that orange president y'all got, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's bad. But that doesn't mean that the systems of white supremacy don't exist here. It's not yeah. like racism stops at the border, because borders are man-made. And absolutely, just the other day, I saw a thread on how all the streets in Toronto are named after slave owners or people who supported mm. like slave owners and were against abolitionist movements. And I'm, I was just stunned. And then, you know, Johnny McDonald, who is, is the first prime minister of Canada, definitely was pro slavery and his, you know, he was horrible. He literally, he was horrible, horrible with um, indigenous communities yeah and that led to residential schools so the whole idea of these movements happening globally is because i feel like there's a part of me that's saddened by this constant struggle but a part of me that is like people are realizing how connected our struggles yeah, are because the what, what they do is they separate us and say indigenous folks and black folks are at odds no we're not at odds when we begin to understand the power in our movements if Muslim communities begin to understand that there's anti-blackness in our own communities and address yeah. it and talk about it. And, you know, I, I, was, I took a class in the month of Ramadan about, it was really important because it was a lot, you needed to, we needed to hold space for black sisters and who were really grieving and to hear them say that they feel lost and excluded in our Muslim communities yeah. by South Asian or Arabs and what does that mean? We need to fix this. And yeah. they, they don't need to feel torn between identities because if they're black and they're Muslim, that's it. So we support that and we go forward to help them and support them and what they need. And you don't, all black lives matter. You know what I mean? You can't just say just these black lives matter. All of them matter. For sure. All black lives matter. And black lives matter full stop. You don't get to say, well, this community of black folks matters. And this, right. no, that's not how this works. Yeah. You either support fully or you, you, it's meaningless. And yeah. you can take that application and you can go forward with it. And I see that in Canada. I see, I, I mean, I've seen people from communities, all racialized communities that protests. I've seen youth. I've seen, you know, my son start to learn, start to learn things. Just the other day, my 15-year-old son, okay? He'll be 16 soon. Yeah. He's sharing posts on misogynoir. And I'm like, bravo. Like, <laughs> and this is, this is stuff that, you know, I will talk about. But at the end of the day, he just wants to talk about, you know, why he thinks I think Kyle Lowry. He, he believes Kyle Lowry is overrated. And yeah. you know, I'm like, keep that out of your mouth. I'm like, watch yourself <laughs> in this at home, son. You know? yeah. But he, the youth are learning and they're paying attention. They are. They really are. Having conversations, like, did you see these K-pop kids come out here and like, you like, yeah, do what they did? They did. <laughs> like, <laughs> don't don't mess around with TikTok. Rally. <laughs> totally. And like, these yeah. kids are, they're having to deal with a lot. Yeah. And I know that, and I say that, but they're also, they've got knowledge at their fingertips, and that's something I'm so proud of, and how it's become a global thing. And I talk about community because it really means a lot. It's how I help cope and survive. I create communities all over the place, and. Um, for myself and I join ones and people invite me and they envelope me in community. And I love that. Yeah. And I see that if that's something, cause that's how we resist. Cause this, this is exhausting. It's very exhausting. I don't it's need to tell exhausting. you, like you, no, you don't <laughs> you live in spaces where you're probably the only black man at the table. 100%. 100%. And, must, and like, how do you do it? Um, 
I, I guess I I try to enter those spaces knowing what what it is essentially, and in entering those spaces, I, I just sort of try to keep a mentality of empowerment rather than a mentality of someone that's overwhelmed because there's little to nobody around me that looks like me that represents what I represent. So being that I am sometimes kind of tokenized in a lot of these instances working within sports media. I try to just enter that space with the sense of empowerment, with the sense of you need me more than I need you, because obviously there's none of me here. (laughs) So, so, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, obviously in order for you to grow, in order for you to improve, in order for you to get to a place where, especially now, all eyes are going to be on you as to why you haven't created this sort of equity lens amongst your establishment, your system, your organization, whatever the case may be. I'm now more empowered than ever to actually step up and sort of be the voice on that particular front because I've kind of, you know, navigated through this profession having to do so. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of my way of navigating through a lot of this stuff that's going on right now is just stay empowered. And I think the times that we're in are kind of amplifying that empowerment because now everybody's looking to me, as I'm sure many folks are looking to you that may not have looked at you or (laughs) looked your direction before we've gotten to this climate socially. (laughs) No, you you know, you pick up your Twitter and you're like, who's following me now? Right. (laughs) Exactly. What? (laughs) Exactly. What's happening? And I think that, I don't know if you see this with the athletes that you cover, but the conversations, I mean, very early on in 2020, we were getting signs that within the first week, and I mean, this is pre the death of Kobe Bryant and, and, and the young woman and the basketball players and Gigi Bryant and her teammates. Yeah. This was with, within the first couple of days, it was a really horrific crash of a Iranian air, you know, of a, of a, of an airline that had predominantly Iranian passengers on it. And yeah. first week I was like, this is, this is awful. Like we're one week into this new decade and this is terrible. I had no idea what was going to come after that. Right. But, I think one of the things that we see that is really formidable is the way that the conversations have opened up. And you and I chatted about this briefly um, before we started recording the conversations that, you know, people like us in these spaces call for, and now they're here. Yeah. And it's like, Okay, I asked this of um, Dr. Davis Amiros Davis the other day. We, we, who, 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 by the way, we have had on this podcast. Yeah, she, she, she was the, so great. She was so great. It, it she, was incredible the response she, that that episode got. Amira just drops gems, and I yeah. have to tell you, she is one of the reasons I've learned. And she's, she's like a baby sister to me. And I've, the amount that she's taught me, like, and it's also really fun to have like one of your closest friends who's like a historian. Because yeah. I'll call her and I'll be like, what does this mean? Yeah. What is this? And she'll just, she'll talk to me. And the other day she says, listen, I need, you, you need to learn about this. And this is something that, and she sent me an audiobook called The Warmth of Other Sons by Isabel Wilkerson. And she said, you need to know about, this was a part of Black American history that I didn't know about. I didn't know about the Great Migration. I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Anything that in the 20th century, over 6 million black folks left the South to go. No, I had no idea about this. Yeah. So, and, and I'm just out here, like, I have no idea. So just to be introduced to that kind of stuff, but how it's woven into how we consume sports, having, a, and this is something that now Devon, I'll tell all aspiring young sports writers, you want to tell a story, you know, they teach us in, in, when we're journalists to show, don't tell, yeah. but also explain the context and having 
sport historians like Dr. Miros Davis and Dr. Brenda Elsie talk about history. And Jessica, for those that don't know, did was in grad school for history for a while. Now she's doing her PhD. Yeah. But she also talks about history. And that's so important because it creates context yeah. and it explains the context. And when we're talking about sports, the most beneficial for thing for me as a sports writer was to understand this and to learn this. Yeah. So Amir is here talking about all these things I said to her. Do you ever get irritated that like you've been you've been learning about this? You're you're an expert in yeah, this, literally. One hundred percent. And now suddenly people seem to care. Are you irritated? And of course, she's got so much grace. She's also taught me so much about grace and how yeah. to. Because you know, you know me, I get a little feisty and fiery. Yeah, so, yeah, you um, do, you do. We're here <laughs> Amira, for it, though. <laughs> Amira is just, she has, and don't get me wrong, she does too, but she has this essence of just grace that I, I you know, it's beautiful. And yeah, hopefully try to absorb some of that. But she just said no, because we want to be leading these discussions. This is the point we've trained yeah. already. And yep. now we're there. It's game time. Yep, absolutely. And, and it's very interesting that you say that because I want to talk about this Bubba Wallace and, and his situation mm. with NASCAR. And a couple of weeks ago, you know, we, we did an episode here on this podcast and I, I talked about Bubba Wallace. And essentially my message in this entire thing was that Bubba Wallace's profession prepared him for this very moment. And I was able to correlate that with some of my experiences in my profession, you know, working in the media, you know, my first radio gig that I had, you know, working for a radio company where the most prominent on-air host is like one of the biggest conservative radio voices here in the United States of America. Like he's syndicated in like a hundred different cities. And although I was a sports station and his station was a news station, we had the same director of, of mm. each of our stations. So mm. we still reported to the same guy in a lot of ways. Uh, some of the influence from that director kind of resonated amongst both stations and being that the most successful on air talent that that director had, under the umbrella of these two stations was this conservative radio guy. Mm -hmm. I had to deal with some of the lingering effects of that through being the token black guy working in that um, space. And also me and this guy had plenty of interactions. We, we essentially debated with each other every morning and that was how we <laughs> got ready, you know, for our, 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 separate radio shows that we were doing. And it wasn't intentional at all. It was just, he didn't agree with what I stood for and I didn't agree with what he stood for. And for some reason we start to have these conversations. So now having the conversations that we're having now and making the different appearances that I've never made before, I'm a little more comfortable because unfortunately I've had to tread some of these waters to get to these to get to this point of dealing with kind mm -hmm. of the nastiness of the industry and the nastiness of these systems that very well do exist in the case of Bubba Wallace I would say the same goes for him and we're seeing that when it comes to the response of the confederate flag being taken down and folks flying over flags saying defund NASCAR and folks still you know gathering and protest against Bubba Wallace and the statement he's made within NASCAR it, to me, he's had to have dealt with so much of that before this particular point that we're in socially, that now that we're here, in a lot of ways, he's prepared for it through his profession because he's been dealing with this silently <laughs> his entire career, especially being a NASCAR driver. Absolutely. And I think there's, there's two things there. 
that I think for those who aren't affected by racism, they won't, it takes them longer to believe it exists. Like, and I have always in my work, whether it's Muslim women in sports, it's racialized women, whatever, change won't happen unless those in power are affected and those in power are not impacted by racism at all. Yeah. And we know this. And so I saw a tweet the other day and it was a black woman who tweeted COVID-19 and racism are the same thing until it affects you. You won't believe it exists. So you'll treat it with that distance. So when I see these images of people in the United States, you know, sort of congregating in pools or whatnot, and they're all white people and they're all like, like it's just a callousness with the way they're treating a global pandemic. And, you know, I think about that now, as far as Bob Wallace goes, He's been dealing with that type of callousness and disregard for his lived experience. And this whole idea of people say, we'd like to debate on racism. I'm like, it's not a debate. Why is it a debate? Like, who says that? It's a debate. What, you think that people aren't equal? Like, what is wrong with you? Even the framing of the words, and Devon, you know, you're a writer and a a podcaster, and you're in this, you work with words. Yeah, You're a scribe. And a poet, if I recall correctly. And, <laughs> <laughs> and you know the power of words. So let's use them properly. Yeah, this isn't absolutely. a debate. And, you know, when you're just saying you're talking to this guy in the, you know, the green room or you're getting ready and having your coffee and you're standing around the kitchen and making your tea or your coffee and you're talking to him and he, he doesn't like what you say. I mean, yeah, sure, I'm biased. But what you're saying is you're calling for the continued support and you're calling for the freedom to live yeah. that's what you're calling so when Absolutely. he disagrees with that inherently like that doesn't make sense to me that's li- well it does make sense but it's just saying yeah. this guy's a wretched human <laughs> yeah. like what are you saying that isn't just that isn't about life and you know just this whole thing life liberty and the pursuit of happiness you can't have liberty in the pursuit of happiness if you don't have life yeah yeah, absolutely. 100%. The first thing. The first 100%. thing. 100%. Absolutely. And that's what this is. And, you know, people are saying, well, just very much like, remember Dr. Tori, Tony Morrison said, racism will be used as a distraction to get from the real, the yeah. real issues. And so these conversations about Colin Kaepernick was disrespectful to the flag and the military, this was all a distraction. It was a distraction. We know he wasn't. Yeah. We know that people are saying, oh, we don't support our people that are in service. No, when you call for defunding the police, you're not saying that you're saying that let's support organizations that are equipped like social services like frontline health that are equipped to handle situations like this because they clearly are not you're like it's two different conversations and because of the systems of racism that exist and they use and they implement that is not okay they're trigger happy and they shoot black and brown people so i'm sorry yes we will defund them and you know this idea if something happens in your community call the police i'm sorry i'm a brown muslim woman i got three brown muslim boys and a a daughter brown muslim as well i'm not calling the police yeah (laughs) Yeah. people on the face of the earth i'm calling the police yeah i'll call fire right and i there's there's a, a gentleman we know and he's um a black Muslim man, he's a firefighter. And he said to me, just sort of, he said, call us, call us yeah. first. Yeah. Wow. We'll come. Don't, don't, yeah. don't, don't call the police because they don't yeah. know how to deal with de-escalation. Absolutely. And this is a man who's pretty prominent. Yeah. And he's like, call us first and then we'll figure it out. Cause they're not armed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> away. Yeah. yeah. For and sure. They're, they're just trained to understand things at a different level. And if you need help, like for state help, they're the ones that have the training. 
yep. anyway. Absolutely. So, you know, I think people are just distracted. They're trying to distract these talks about these discussions on racism. And I don't even like the conversation of discussions on racism. Do yeah. we really need to discuss this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's Do we? a great point. We, we, we don't, but unfortunately, we're sort of being forced to, I guess. But yeah, the, the, it, I think anybody with common sense should know that this shouldn't be a discussion. Like you said, it shouldn't be a debate and it really shouldn't be a conversation. It should just be action to steer away from the nastiness that we've dealt with over time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, lastly, before we get out of here, it's actually something we used to, we used to do on this podcast uh, when I first started it about three years ago, three or so years ago now. Um, and I kind of steered away from it. And the other day I'm sitting and I'm, I'm thinking, I'm like, you know what? I don't know why I haven't been asking this, asking guests this question as of late. Um, And basically this is the wake up and win podcast. And so my question is when you wake up daily, is there something that you do some type of ritual, anything that, that you do that kind of leads the way for you to go out and conquer and ultimately win the day? Well, first of all, I need to start doing that as a reminder. (laughs) (laughs) That that works too. (laughs) Um, um, The first thing I do is I look at my phone, which I shouldn't. It's on my bedside, um, but I do. Yeah. Um, But I think what I started to try to do with some help, um, I was seeing a therapist just for some anxiety issues and stuff like this over the time and Mm -hmm. just told me to deep breathe. And it sounds so ridiculous that just breathe. And, you know, when people say that, I mean, this concept of, Devon, this concept of breathing is something that's so heavy sometimes. Like, I can't breathe. Just, yeah. you know, just yeah. those words. But the power and the, you know, freedom I have to breathe and the right. safety in which I have, I have to check my privilege. But to just breathe deeply and then, okay, I'm getting ready. I'm also, as a Muslim woman, you know, and an observant Muslim woman, I make it intention and Islam is a lot about intentionality and I'll get up and be like, okay, I want to do good. I want to do good. I want to be blessed by God for the work that I do. And I want to be just in what I do and I want to be impactful. So I kind of make a quick, and this is all happening as I'm late to get to a meeting. So it's all like, yeah, 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 you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. but just to take a couple seconds, like 10 seconds just to breathe. And then be, before I jump out of bed, I'm just going to say, okay, today is a day that I, I want to try to, to be impactful. And as much as I say, I want it to be calm and I do it. Like I said, I'm usually frantic and grabbing this from somewhere and this from somewhere. And yeah. I don't have to commute long. I have to come down the stairs, right, which right. is another, which is another point of privilege yeah. because I, I'm, I'm lucky to be able to work remotely and I always have. So COVID didn't hit me the same way it hit other people. Right. But um, just to be able to acknowledge that and say, okay, what do I do today? And take it one day at a time. And very much, I keep telling myself this, it's not a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. This is a long game we're, we're, we're in for. We're not trying to fix. And that's helped me check my impatience that I, we need to be steady. We need to be steady. We yeah. need to keep being steady. And whatever that means, there's those days where I'll feel wobbly or someone else needs some support. Check in with each other. Yeah. Do you know this whole idea of checking in is not minimal? There's times where I've just sent little voice notes to friends on WhatsApp because you know me, I I'm just yeah. like let's do a voice note. I hate typing. I'm a writer and I hate typing. Yeah. Um, um, I'll just say, "Hey, I'm thinking of you. I hope you're doing okay. And if you're not, I'm here." Yeah. And people will message back and be like, "Oh my goodness, thank you. It's all it takes but just yeah. to." 
just pick three random people from your contact list. Haven't spoken to in a while. Hey, I'm thinking about you. I hope you're okay. And I haven't yeah. seen a lot of my friends in a long time because of social distancing. Right. So it's, it's meaningful right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Shireen, thank you so, so much for taking the time out to join us today. Like I said, it was a long time coming, but the time was, was on point nonetheless. I appreciate you so much for your work that you're continuing to do. It's been great work. It, it continues to be great work and keep doing the great work that you're doing. Um, once again, thank you for your influence on me and doing the work that I now do, because like I said, you certainly were one of the first people that made Made this work cool <laughs> and I say that you know with air quotes there to me in particular I can't speak for anybody else and their experience during the time that you came to Pacific University and I'm sure you, you've impacted other students that got to hear you speak and present in other ways as well but for me personally you were one of the ones that made this work cool and now it's become my life you know professionally so thank you so much for that. Thank you for having me. And when you are, you know, senior correspondent on Sports Center, please don't forget about me. <laughs> okay, we'll not do that at all. <laughs> we'll not do that. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Shereen. Thanks so much for having me, Devon. All righty, have a good one. You too. Bye. All right, bye. <laughs>